Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 92 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We continue to inch closer to the century mark as we're super excited. We're almost a year into the podcast, so Dan and I are going to have to come up with something super special for that episode in a couple weeks. But as always, my name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati, as well as our producer, Phoebe. Dan, are we excited? You got your angel shirt back on. We're back in the MLB mood. Yeah. I might be a little, I'm running out of gas here. Uh, we're a minute into the podcast, but it's almost nine o'clock on a, on a, what's today? Wednesday, Wednesday night. I thought today, today was one of those days where all day I thought it was Thursday. And then the realization that it's only Wednesday is just a gut punch. Yeah, no, that, that would be demoralizing, but for our listeners, they might not know this episode will probably come out on Friday. So we, we don't want to confuse them too much. But yeah, nine o'clock on a Wednesday, that that's starting to get pretty late for me. And I feel like I've exhausted all my energy before the podcast, as usual, as we tend to do. Um, we we chat it up and, and talk a lot before we press record. And then by the time we're 25 minutes in, I'm, I'm exhausted. So let's get right into it. The MLB season has been in full swing. Obviously, Dan and I's focus has been on college baseball uh, because we had just such a great postseason run there all the way from regionals all the way to Omaha and obviously LSU is your national champion if you aren't interested in college baseball you missed a lot of good baseball Uh, Dan and I both spoke on the fact that we think it's the best baseball you'll probably see in a calendar year until they go 24 to 4 and then 18 to 4 to finish off Omaha as demoralizing as that has was but obviously we were still staying as tuned in as possible to the MLB and um, over the last 20 so this is pretty much what we've missed we've probably been gone for roughly three weeks here I think we did a check-in after regionals and we've been pretty MIA and focused on the college side of things since that day but MLB's best record since the last time we were on here talking about the major league game, we have the Braves sitting at 17 and three. They have the best. They're tied with the Cincinnati Reds who are, you confused me with the way you did this rundown. Sorry. We'll start again. The Braves are set 17 and three. The giants are 16 and four. The Reds are 15 and five. And for some reason they have a first next to their name, They're probably first, first in, the in their division. Yeah. That figured that out after I already scrambled <laughs> a little bit there. The Phillies are 15 and five. They're third in the NL East. Just learned that uh, the Marlins are 14 and six diamondbacks, 13 and seven angels, 13 and seven. The Orioles are 12 and eight. The Guardians are 12 and 8 as well. And rounding this list out, the Cubs are 12 and 8. So, Dan, 
obviously it's been a super fun season. Competitive balance is at an all-time high. Probably the most fun thing about this list and the most intriguing thing to talk about is just the fact that the names that are on this list for the last 20 all with first, second, and third next to their name, nobody's sitting in last place playing good baseball, are teams we did not come into the year expecting to be this good. No, and and I think, you know, one of the, the name that I think a lot of people, especially for the last week or so, they had, uh, you know, 15 and 5, the Reds. I think they went on a 12-game heater there. But they won 12 in a row. And my favorite thing about the way the Reds are doing it is the fact of, you know, just being so aggressive with their young guys, right? We've seen Matt McClain now in the big leagues. We've seen Ellie De La Cruz come up. Um, Andrew Abbott's been, he's 4-0, and I think he has a sub-1 ERA in his four starts. Uh, the lefty out of the University of Virginia, go who's. Um, but just like seeing what the Reds have done. Um, sorry, Phoebe, I just realized you're at Virginia Tech. It's my bad. Um, but anyway, uh, the the Reds and, and their young talent, I don't know if it's necessarily sustainable because I don't think they have the starting pitching to continue to compete. And, and oh, But that division is so weird, man. I mean, remember when we were on here actually having to talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates? And, that you know, I, they just – they consistently lose 9 of 10 now. And uh, they're fading fast. They're in fourth place in that division. Um, But, you know, and then the Angels. Finally, we're getting to see the Angels play – playoff caliber baseball um and we'll talk about a little bit why and the, the Giants and Marlins the Giants and Marlins for me like I, I think going into this year I looked at the Giants and Marlins and I probably would have said they're both fourth place teams just looking at their roster and we were obviously very critical of the Marlins at some point we should probably apologize because we didn't like how they built the roster but apparently if you can have really young really good starting pitching you can have you can employ six second basements on your roster and and still find a way to win. Yeah, definitely, and I think that with the Marlins, uh, I got confused. I was watching a video and I was really confused by what was going on there. So I was really locked into what you were saying. <laughs> this is a hot. So this is a first. The first five minutes of this podcast have been absolutely fantastic. This is what the people are here for. It's a miracle we've made it ninety-two episodes. I pulled out my phone to watch to to find something out because I was surprised by what you said about the Pirates because I knew they were playing better and then it seems like they fell off again. But then I saw a video of Jake Cronenworth and there was a play at the plate and this is going around on social media right now. So you probably haven't seen it. And to get the bat out of the way, he just runs full speed in front of the catcher when there's a play in the plate and grabs the bat and then runs out of the yeah, so I was like, wait, what is he doing? And then I realized you were still talking and you were wrapping it up. So um, sorry, he, Jake Cronenworth. Get, is, did he get I didn't smoked finish by the, the video. ball? No, I didn't finish the video. You, you couldn't even finish the video to give us a proper rundown of what you were watching? <laughs> but in terms of the Marlins and the Giants, I think there are still definitely flaws in the roster, right? Like I think they're playing great baseball. There's no denying that. Logan Webb has absolutely just continued to reinvent himself and get better on a year-to-year basis, which has kind of been the the linchpin of that rotation. I know he had a couple really good starts in there um, over the last couple months, but these are teams that, and we see this a lot of times, right? We're sitting here today. It's June 28th. We're not even at the all-star break. And it's going to be make or break team time for a lot of these teams, right? The the Marlins have a pretty negative run differential. I don't know exactly what it is off the top of my head. So they've been playing good baseball, but winning a lot of one-run games in a competitive division, you know the Mets aren't going to slow down. Uh, they're going to push and try to fight for every inch with how much money they've put in that team. And obviously the Phillies are the fourth best team over the last 20. So those teams are going to be the, right there in the thick of it until the end. So the Marlins are going to have to get Sandy Alcantara back to the Cy Young caliber guy. That lineup's going to have to, like Jorge Soler has been just phenomenal. And so has Luis Arias. There's nothing taken away from what he's done. Uh, and those guys have definitely been carrying the freight. But if we see a little bit of regression, we're going to need some other guys to step up, and including Jazz Chisholm, who I know has been a little banged up. So he hasn't exactly been the focal point of their offense as they've won, but it's going to be interesting. But as we talk through the NL East, I mean, what the Atlanta Braves have been able to do, I saw a stat 
on social media the other day that said as an offense in the month of June, right? Obviously they're sitting at 17 and three. We're sitting here on June 28th. So the majority of those wins have come in the month of June as an offense, one through nine, everybody who plays, they are hitting 308, 400 something, 500 slugging percentage. They're literally competing at an MVP level with their whole lineup. That is absurd to factor in in the game today that a whole lineup one through nine can perform at that level. And it's just unfathomable to think of because this is a team who we we lauded all year last year. They won the World Series in 2021. And we're talking about parity and competitive balance in the MLB today. This is a team who's just running away at the top with the most talent across the league. And they have a ton of young guys. And they're locked up for the foreseeable future. And it's not even including guys like Max Fried that are still on the injured list. Yeah, it's the best. You know, the Rangers are up there um, as far as best lineups in baseball go. I mean, the Rangers have a, a plus 152 run differential, which is crazy. And, and you know, Atlanta's sitting at, at 117. But I look at it, and Atlanta has the scariest lineup in baseball. And the way it's clicking right now, and it has for the month of June, I just don't know how anyone can sit there and realistically say that they're not the best team, I think, in baseball overall. I mean, the Rays got off to that blistering start. Don't get me wrong. The Rays are still really, really good. But you look at Atlanta, they finished off a sweep today. They're 53-27. and 27. The Rays are 54-28. and 28. So they have one less win, but also one less loss. So to me, it's, it's the Braves are kind of the leaders. And like you said, they're doing this with – having thrown guys like Jared Schuster, who maybe wasn't ready, Dylan Dodd, who wasn't ready, Colby Allard, who hadn't pitched in Major League Baseball, I think since 2021 maybe with the Rangers, um, was up today and he did a fine job in a couple, I think he went three innings against the uh, Twins today and and they pitch a shutout. The bullpen then comes in and goes the rest of the way and that's just the way the Braves are. They're winning every type of baseball you can. They were they were in a nothing nothing game through nine in Philly last week and ended up winning five one in ten innings. They're blowing teams out. They're you know they're doing it just every way you can, and that's what you want to see for a team when you get to this point, right? We always talk about like the check checkpoints in baseball and Memorial Day is one, the All Star breaks the next one, trade deadline, and then you get to the end of the year, and we're coming up on the All Star break and. Braves may run away and hide with this thing because I don't see the Marlins being able to catch them. Now, the Marlins are 16-16 and 16 against teams with a 500 or better record, so they're they're hanging in there, which is a lot better than the Phillies who are 19-27 and 27 right now against teams with a 500 record. Atlanta's 23-16. and 16. Atlanta plays these teams and has no problem beating them. They beat everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, where you play them. They're just as good on the road as they are at home. Um, so it's, it's a really scary team. Also, I think because of the, the record yeah. against 500, I mean, the, sorry, the Giants, I think, have a, have a little bit more staying power than the Marlins. I know you made your point about both those teams not necessarily having the absolute staying power, but at least the Giant, the Giants have a really good record against teams who are 500 or better. Yeah, and I think that's that's the Giants we've come to know, right? Like they're going to overperform their talent level. There's that's just what the Giants do. It's what they did two years ago in 2021 when they won over 100 games, right? Like that was a not a very good lineup, not a very good team. Buster Posey was on the back end of his career, but they made the playoffs and they were a pretty formidable foe no matter who you played them. And it's similar, right? Like they don't have any superstars at this point in time. It's it's far from the days of Buster Posey, Brandon Belt in his prime, you know, those guys that were just really good and really productive big leaguers. Now it's it's more of the role players, really. I mean, they don't even have that many top prospects that are up there performing for them. I know Joey Bart's been really good, um, a lot better recently, and and he's been swinging it and playing good defense. So he's a big piece. But let, let's talk about the big story as of recent in the MLB landscape, and it's the rise of the Cincinnati Reds. On You mentioned that they're in first place at this point in time. Uh, they faded a little bit from their 12-game win streak. They're only 7-3 in their last 10, um, but they're sitting at 42-38 and in a wide-open NL Central. The Brewers have struggled with a ton of injuries. They have Their pitching staff has not been healthy. Corbin Burns hasn't been the Corbin Burns we've come to know recently. And the Cincinnati Reds have stroke while the iron is hot. I mean, making the move to call up Ellie 
De La Cruz. And, and obviously he has his fair share of question marks. He's on the ground a lot, but he's the fastest player in the league in terms of uh, foot by second, um, which is the sprint speed metric that StatCat uses. He's sitting currently at a 300 batting average with an 881 OPS. He's shown the ability to hit multiple balls 115 miles per hour plus, and he also flashed his arm strength of throwing the ball across the diamond at 100 miles per hour. Everything this guy does is electric, right? Does he need to refine some things around the edges? 100%. But there is no player in baseball that possesses all of the tools that Ellie De La Cruz has. It's Ronald Acuna type level talent and tools. And I'm talking about showcase tools. I'm not talking about going and hitting 40 home runs and stealing 70 bases like Ronald Acuna is on pace to do. But Ellie De La Cruz beat out a ground ball to the first baseman. Like how many guys in the MLB can do that, right? We Billy Hamilton used to be able to do that. But then he two at bats later, he goes 117 double in the gap because he's strong as an ox. This dude is really just a freak of nature. Yeah, and he's six foot five. I mean, you just look at him and he just looks like he's one of those guys who looks good in uniform, right? We talk about Tatis all the time. You see Ellie De La Cruz put on a baseball uniform and it just looks like a, a superior athlete. And that ball that he beat out to first base wasn't a, a dribbler. It wasn't an 87 hopper. Like he hit that ball hard, it gets knocked down, and he beats the first baseman and the pitcher to the bag. He is the most electric player in baseball, in my opinion, right now. I mean, he I just watching him play, it's almost like, you know, it's again, like I think Acuna, yes, has those same abilities and Acuna's, I think the superior player, but we've seen Acuna. So it's something new, which makes it even more exciting when it's another guy and he plays on the infield. He throws the ball a million miles an hour across the diamond. He, he runs like a gazelle and, and anytime he, I mean, he hits for a cycle the other night and it's a, looks like a sure double, right? Like most guys are Cadillacing in a second. And there goes Ellie, like just turning the corner at second and heading to third. And it's like, this guy is unbelievable. Um, and then also like Matt McLean, like look what Matt McLean's done in, I think he's played 37 games now. He's hitting 321. He's got six homers and 12 doubles and four triples. Like the fact that, and that was my point earlier, like them being aggressive. And I love when teams are aggressive with their young guys, especially if you're a team like the Reds, right? You looked in the beginning of the year, the Reds were at the bottom of, of the league in attendance. They brought these young guys up. They got on a little heater. Joey Votto comes back and he's, Kind of looks like Joey Votto again, which is awesome. I mean, the hits haven't come, but when you talk about the discipline and, and the way he's managed his at-bats, like it looks like Votto. Jonathan India is off to a great start, and and that place was full for their last homestand. They played the Braves tight. They lost two or three, but I think two of the three were one-run games, or all three might have actually been one-run games. Um, I, I, and even some of the contributions they're getting from, from guys like Spencer Steer and Stuart Fairchild, like this is kind of – Jake Fraley uh, and, and Nick Senzel also. So it's it's been exciting. And they're a team that I think everybody's kind of getting behind, much like the Orioles in the American Leagues. It's a team that no one really, you know, a lot of young stars coming up that, that could be around for a long time and contribute. And that's always exciting to me. Yeah, you see the atmosphere. Uh, you see the atmosphere of what this fan base has been. They're a baseball craze fan base, and they love their Cincinnati Reds, and they want any reason to go out to the ballpark, which is why they should definitely check out our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is your essential resource for live baseball. For any of your ticket needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your purchase. I know all you fans in Cincinnati and around the Ohio area, you're loving your Cincinnati Reds. You want to get out. You want to see Ellie De La Cruz. You want to see this team compete for a playoff spot. Head out, obviously, across the country. All these fan bases that want to get out for their game, spend a summer night at a ballpark. Our friends over at SeatGeek, they're your best resource to get those tickets. So Dan, speaking of freaks of nature, <laughs> speaking of the freak of all freaks of nature, Shohei Otani is doing it again. And is it fair to say that he's better than he's ever been? 
I, oh, I think so. I think this is kind of, I think, you know, obviously he won the MVP two years ago and it was incredible, but he's become a better pitcher. He's continued to hit for power. I mean, he looks so comfortable. No matter what he's doing on a baseball field, he just looks like the best player out there. And I, sometimes I want to get Shohei Otani fatigue because everybody just like anytime he does anything. But like, then you think about it and it's like, no, like no one else can do this. He's legitimately a middle of the order bat and a front of the rotation arm in one player. It's kind of hard to describe at this point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's like hard it's, even... it's hard to wrap your head around because you're talking about a guy blind resume. If I told you a guy gave you three oh four, and what are we? He's three hundred and six at bats. Let's see how many games have have we played? Has he played this year? Set we're eighty games into the season, so, so remember that as I as I say this three oh four. 28 home runs in 80 games, 386 OBP, 654 slugging percentage, 1.039 OPS. He also pitches. <laughs> he also happens to be one of the best, if not arguably the best pitcher in the American League. It's unbelievable. Last night as we sit here today on Wednesday, obviously this episode might not come out till Friday, but he's following up an outing. And in the past, he'd kind of struggled when he pitched to hit, right? You could right. tell his focus was in other places, whatever. He struck out 10 last night and he proceeded to go three for three with two home runs. It is literally, it does not make sense. It does not make sense what he's able to do. He's pitching on the year to a 3.02 ERA. In 95 innings, he has 127 strikeouts. You're literally talking about blind resume, top three finisher in the MVP voting, just as an offensive player, top three finisher in the, in the Cy Young, just as a pitcher in one player. He's on pace for a 12.2 war season. Yeah, again, it just doesn't make it like we're going to have to create a new award because if he continues to do this, he's just the MVP every year. And I don't know how you don't give it to him. And like, at what point do you give him the MVP and the Cy Young? Because like you said, if this was two different players, they'd both be in legitimate conversation for MVP and Cy Young. And you said 80 games in. So that's half season. So if you just replicate his his stats and double them. That's it. He's going to hit 300 with 56 homers, 128 RBIs. And oh, by the way, pitched to a three, three ERA in less than, you know, about 200 innings with 250 strikeouts. What are we talking? What are we doing? This is stupid. Like it doesn't make like baseball. I've always loved baseball. And part of, to me, the beauty of baseball is the fact that not to sound like the old guy in the room, but like the fact that major league baseball is so hard and, you you know, guys who hit 300 are the best in the league and they fail. That means you're failing seven out of 10 times, right? That's what every dad loves to tell their kid who plays <laughs> little league, right? It's like you're the best in the world, fail seven out of 10 times. It's true, except Shohei Otani who comes along and it's like this is the easiest thing in the world. Like this guy does both. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And um, I mean, I – Let's just have some fun real quick. Let's throw some numbers around. What is this guy going to attract in free agency? Six hundred million. He's got. He's could be right because you pay a a a, a player of his caliber offensively attracts three hundred million dollars. A pitcher of his level attracts right around three hundred million in today's market. He's both. So like, and what's what's the safety net, right? Let's just say he falls off, right? Because why do guys not get larger contracts? The risk. It has nothing to right. do with the value. It's all Correct. about risk. We're not right. going to as invest X amount as they age. Well, let's just say in a hypothetical scenario, he stops hitting or pitching as well. He can just do the, do other, the other one <laughs> and Full still time. be good. And probably assuming, be better because yeah, he'll only focus on it. Exactly. And so – 
600 might be a stretch. I know there's sure, been a lot of players that have been voiced their opinion that it should be six, but pr- definitely five, five, definitely half a billion. Um, which is so, like, which is unreal to think about, but you're talking about 12, 13 years, $550 million. I mean, he's never going to have to, to do anything in his life again, but even back to his statistics as an offensive player in terms of OPS plus, he's better. He's 80% better than the league average. And on the mound, he's 43% better than league average. It's like, these are what guys dream to do individually. And I also wonder, and this is probably more of just me thinking through it. Is there an element to the fact that he is so good because he does both? Right. And what I mean by that is like, he, he's just one of these mutant guys where he doesn't have time to think about hitting or he doesn't have time to think about pitching that maybe if he did do one for a specific year, it would probably be more of the same, right? Everybody, you said he would be probably better and he probably would be to a certain, in terms of preparation, he'd probably draw more walks, have a better approach, you know, probably attack hitters better, whatever it would be in terms of just your preparation as a big leaguer. But all things considered, like I think this guy thrives on doing both, and I think it is something that just once Joe Madden walked into that clubhouse and they just said, "Just go, take the reins off of him. We're not going to sit here and sit him between the day he starts." Joe Madden's like, "We're hitting him one when he pitches. He's going to pitch, and we'll stick him in right field if we have to. Whatever we need to do to get this guy in the lineup every day." And it's super fun to see, but I really do think Shohei thrives off of that. And I think he would be lost a little bit if he did have at least a little transition period, if he did have to drop one of them. Well, the way he makes the game look, it, it I think he would be a little bit bored. Oh because, my gosh. Yeah. Because of how easy it looks for him. I think this is like the only thing that like it, as crazy as it sounds, listening to his numbers, like it is challenging for him to do both because it's not easy for him. Let's be honest. Like he's just sensational. So I think he would be bored if he was just one or the other, especially if he was a pitcher, right? If he's only throwing once every five days, I think he wouldn't, I think he'd probably want to quit baseball um, because it just wouldn't be as fun for him. Like, you know, he gets to go out there and take BP every day and be in the lineup every day. And then every fifth day he gets to go out there and then he gets to put on the glove and go play defense and pitch. Like it's, I mean, He's living a little leaguer's dream. He's living a little right. This is like he's a high school player. He's a college player, like at the highest level of baseball. And we've heard guys talk about wanting to do it. And like, I he's setting the bar so high to me. I don't know how anyone can ever clear this. Like, if you were to to, to draft a guy who could potentially do, I don't know how you don't like. They're gonna un- the next guy will unfortunately probably get the Shohei label, and you just have no you have no prayer. I'm sorry, no matter who it is, you have no prayer of being the Cy Young and MVP like this guy in the same year. It's it's interesting. It's interesting because I I was listening to somebody say it the other day. I don't think we talk about Shohei's greatness enough, and we talk about him every day. But I think when we're really going to appreciate what he does and what he's changed in the game of baseball is when you mention those guys who try to do it. And I know he's opened the opportunity for it. And there's definitely yes. guys that are talented on both sides of the ball to do both. But I think in 10 years post-Shohei time, when both of you are old, grumpy, and still doing this podcast thing, talking about how we hate that robots make decisions and analytics are stupid when we, you know, old white man yells at cloud type situation when we become 45, 50, I think is when we're really going to appreciate what Shohei was because I don't think anybody's ever going to do this again. At this level, can somebody do it? I'm sure there's somebody talented out there enough to do it. There's a position player who throws 97 and could get on the mound and throw enough strikes to be competitive. But to do it at Cy Young MVP on both sides of the ball level, I think once we once Shohei retires and we get kind of the cloud of being in it and the bias of being in it away from it, and we reflect, we're going to say that this guy – is the greatest thing that's ever happened to baseball and the arguably one of the greatest athletes. I mean, to do it on both sides of the ball in a sport that it's hard enough to do. We talk about the Mike Trout as being one of the greatest athletes ever. Well, he only did it on one 
side. This guy's doing it on both. He's literally mastered the game of baseball and he's been just so impressive. And I don't know. Here's an interesting question that I'll pose you. Is he a Hall of Famer today if he retired? Yes. Just because he changed the game, right? Yes. Yeah. You cannot because, talk about baseball only, without talking about Shohei Otani. And how polarizing he was coming over from Japan. And, and, and we've had a lot of players come over from Japan. He's come over and become the best player in the league, which we really haven't seen. Right? Everyone thought Hideki Matsui would do it. Matsui was good. He had a good career, don't get me wrong. But he did not do anything like, like this guy's doing. I mean, it's incredible. And I saw someone make the comparison today on social media. And I, like read it and because like just when you think of it this way like it really made me stop and think about it it's like he's peyton manning if peyton manning was also ed reed like that's when you think about it that way it's like that is incredible right like it's if a guy went out there and was the offensive and defensive player of the year in football that that doesn't happen it's impossible like you don't do that what he's doing in sports. And, and I, I mean, shoot, as far as where he's going to sit in, in baseball standards, I mean, to me, as it sits, he's the greatest player to ever live at, so far. I mean, if he's going to be this good at both sides, when you talk about, I mean, there's a reason we went to a designated hitter in both leagues. It's because pitchers went up there and those guys couldn't do it because they didn't practice it. They didn't have that ability. Um, He's out here doing it both ways, making it look easy. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, again, it's hard to put into words, really. It's just fun to watch, be along for the ride. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. And let's specifically go into what he's meant for the Angels, right? And the Angels are the kicking boy across baseball because of the fact that. They have Shohei Otani and they have Mike Trout and they don't win and they don't make the playoffs, right? And a lot of people use it as such a negative tone around the Angels. I view it as a way to kind of fully understand what it takes to be a competitive baseball team and that it's not just two guys and it's it's about depth, player development, pitching, defense, all of the factors that come into play that we talk about so frequently But you're talking about a guy that's in the same lineup as Mike Trout, and Mike Trout has been good. He's been Mike Trout-esque this year, and he has 11 more home runs than Mike Trout, right? And that has made this team that they now sit in second place as it stands right now, and they're competing for a playoff spot. And the hope is, fingers crossed, that in his last year in an Angels uniform playing with Mike Trout, assuming Somebody else picks him up, right? Um, He is going to play playoff baseball. And we were bullish on this roster before the year. And it's really kind of come out to be pretty good in terms of what we had expected. Shohei's been the ace of the staff. Reed Detmers has been really, really good. He has 94 strikeouts in 76 innings with a 3.77 ERA. Griffin Canning's been a good three. Um, He's gone out. He's taken the ball. He has 62 strikeouts in 65 innings with a 3.99 ERA. And then the bullpen's been solid. But on the whole, the lineup, I believe they're fourth in the league in OPS, which is obviously a huge deal and carried by the two guys that have obviously been great. But our good old friend in the East Coast, Mickey Moniak, has been turning it up for a 1.0002 OPS. And Zach Nito, who is obviously a Campbell guy, made a quick uh, surge to the big leagues. He's hitting 260 as it stands right now. So Shohei is the focal point. There's no denying that. I think you'd be a fool to watch this team play and think that it was anybody except Shohei and Mike Trout. But this team is not as bad as... People want to make it seem outside of those two. There's a lot of productive players across the board helping this team win ball games. Yeah, just on the offensive side, and really the team building thing as a whole, kind of is like I like how aggressive they've been. Right, bring Zach Neto up, like you do it. Like I know you drafted; he's the first player from the draft, his draft year to get called up. Just go ahead and, and bring him up. You needed a shortstop. I joked earlier before the year they bought Anthony Rendon insurance and Rendon's been banged up all year long on and off the IL and then of course in the most Angels fashion Drury and 
um, Urshela, the two guys that they brought in to be that insurance, get hurt. And I think Urshela is out for the year. So what did mm-hmm. they do? Like they went out and they got Mike Moustakis and Eduardo Escobar right away. And now I know those names aren't that exciting. Maybe if this was eight years ago, you would be really excited about that. But the point is that they didn't just wait. The, the injuries happened. They hit them hard. And in years past, it would, the Angels would have been like, oh, well. And they would have been running someone out there who's well below replacement value player. And this year they go out and they get Eduardo Escobar from the Mets because the Mets needed to clear the roster spot. Is he having a great year? No, but look, this guy's been around for a long time, and you never know. Like, just he's a professional. He understands what it takes. He he's gonna give you good at bats. Mike Mustakas, same thing. Like, just at least going out there and and trying and and continuing to keep the the pedal to the metal for you know they're in it and they look like they're they're actually gonna be able to sustain it this year. And and then the pitching thing. I mean, that's what they've been killed for all along. Reed Detmers looks like he's figuring it out. Like you said, Griffin Canning, like. This is a team that looks like they're actually going to be able to stick around. And, and it's nice whenever you get teams and shake up the playoffs year to year because it's fun to see new teams in the postseason. But everyone's been dying to see this team get in because of those two guys. And and look, you get them in a short playoff series and you got to face Otani in this lineup. They could actually make some noise, right? They could knock somebody off. Yeah, they definitely could knock somebody off. And, and I think the further we get into this season, the better Reed, Reed Detmers is going to look. Um, I think in terms of stuff, the way it profiles, I think that he's a guy that, you know, he's going to continue to learn himself how he's going to use his pitches. Um, I think the the walks are a little bit higher than I'm sure he would hope, 29 and 76 innings for a guy who has great command. Um, he's also given up a lot of hits in that time frame with 69 and 76. But the strikeouts are legit. That curveball is an absolute hammer. Uh, I've been pretty high on him, obviously, since college when we had backside ground balls volume one. Um, so, Dan, I'll ask you this. What is your realistic, most realistic outcome for this Los Angeles Angels team as we sit here today? We still got a decent amount of baseball left. They're sitting currently 44 and 37. So they're seven games above 500. They're one game up on the Houston Astros while being five game back, games back of the Texas Rangers. I think this is a wild card team. I think this is a legitimate wild card team. They're going to have to hold off some teams in the East who, um, you know, that division is continues to be, you know, the best division in baseball, but they're a wild card team. I think that, you know, you, I don't know if they're going to be good enough to chase down the Rangers. Also, you always have the the monster looming whenever they wake up the Astros and, and truly get, you know, become awake. I still expect, I know we're getting late in the year here. It's getting to the halfway point, but I still expect the the Astros that we're used to to show up, especially when like they get healthy and Jordan comes back. But I think this is legitimately a, a team and a roster that can be in the postseason and be a wild card. And then once you get there, just like we've seen the last couple of years, as soon as you get in, anything can happen. You just got to get hot for that month and go on a run. And, you know, in the years past, they've just imploded on themselves. And this this doesn't look like a team so far. We've gone to the halfway point and they haven't imploded yet, right? So I know there's probably some some angel fans out there who are pessimistic and who are waiting for the implosion to happen. Uh, because they haven't quite pulled away yet. They're still only seven over, but look, they're in a good spot. I think they're in the driver's seat for a wild card berth at the very least. If anything, they've gotten better, right? For sure. We've been there at the end of May where the Los Angeles Angels have been in first place. Yeah. 12 in Um, a row to start. And they fell off a cliff. Um, so this is not the first time that we've seen this team good early in the season. So to see them continue to get better, to make a real push, I want to see him add a starter. I don't know who that is, uh, but the starting rotation leaves a lot to be desired. Yep, you're holding, does. you're hanging a lot on Patrick Sandoval and Griffin Canning to get you big outs and in, in important games, and then Tyler Anderson has not been good. You'd That's rather not be hurts. sending him out there. Um, so 
it's tough. You'd, you'd want to see them add potentially, um, but don't know which direction they'd go, who to add, who's going to be available. That's a conversation for a couple of weeks down the road. But I will say the worst thing that's happened into the Angels this year is the fact that the NL Central gets an automatic bid to the AL Central, yeah. Mm-hmm. AL Central, sorry. Um, just the Twins right now are in first place at 40 and 42. And the Angels right now are fringe. They're tied a half a game. They're tied for the third wild card spot and a half a game up on the Toronto Blue Jays for that third spot. And they're all sitting at six or seven games above 500. So that's tough, right? That makes it tough for the Angels' outlook. You don't know what to expect is probably the best way to say it. So It'll be interesting to see how this unfolds, but I really do think that this team, I think it's going to be an exciting stretch for them, and I think they are playing motivated baseball as we round out this regular season. Yeah, and and the last thing I'll say on this is just it'll be – them chasing down the Yankees will be interesting because you look at the Yankees and you look at some of those teams that are in that wild card hunt, Houston, Toronto, L.A., Baltimore – Baltimore surprising. I'm still expecting some regression just because of starting pitching, but the Yankees to me look like the most fragile of those teams that we've named because that offense, especially we don't know when Judge is coming back, could be out the rest of the year. He's got the torn tendon. That'll be fascinating. I like that pitching staff still, but they're going to have to add sure, a bat. But don't the tell me if you've heard just, this before. Add yeah. a corner outfield bat. It's right. every single year. Sure. Um, and Donaldson has shown promising signs. I know we don't – the the Yankees' Twitter doesn't want to traffic in that, but you're talking about a 50. Getting, he's getting yeah, the Joey Gallo treatment. He is. Um, 55% hard hit rate, 600-plus expected slug, 125-point difference between his average and his expected average, and and we're talking about good positive regression. So, again, for all those people that want him released and and everything, you're the same people that give Cashman millions of, of remarks for releasing Aaron Hicks and becomes a star. You want to look in the mirror and reflect on the fact that you're the reason these guys struggle in New York because you boo him every time he makes a mistake and these guys are human. Not the nece- We don't necessarily have to go into this today, but it's funny how why do we get rid of this guy for nothing when he, he sucked with us and he's good with everybody else? Well, because in Baltimore, they actually treat their baseball players like human beings. Believe that um, if if you've ever heard that. Yeah, they as a, cheer all their as players that wear their uniform. Yeah, like, yeah, sure, if they struggle. It's okay to struggle. You don't get booed for taking a borderline pitch or striking out against a really good reliever. So that'll be my soapbox there. So if Brian Cashman does decide to release Josh Donaldson and he goes to the Los Angeles Angels who would welcome him in with open arms and he hits 260 with a ton of power, I just wouldn't be shocked at all because and then Yankee fans would be pissed. Why couldn't you do this with us? Well, yeah, every time he touched the bat, you freaking boot him because it's hard to perform when you're treated like the scum of the earth. But do that's you besides think like how point. much how much I mean that offense does need help though. I mean that offense if you look at their yeah, well, ranks in, in the month of June. Anthony Rizzo and Stanton to be Anthony Rizzo and Stanton. They need Glaber Torres to finally be the guy he was that almost won a rookie of the year. I mean, remember we sat there and, and people argued that Shohei Otani didn't deserve the rookie of the year because Glaber Torres was there. And Glaber had a great rookie year, right? And it has nothing to do with Anthony Volpe. Like Anthony Volpe's been fine. He's on pace to go 2020 as a rookie, which is just fine. Like that's that's very acceptable for your for your 21-year-old kid that's just now stepping into the big the limelight of New York. He shouldn't be the focal point of this offense. He shouldn't be the kicking boy. Trevino's been terrible. Higashioka is not very good um, to begin with. Harrison Bader is what Harrison Bader is. You cannot expect him to be anything more. IKF is a super U. Like, no, this team needs to be surrounded by Anthony Rizzo, John Carlos Stanton, Josh Donaldson, and Aaron Judge sprinkled there in the middle. Now, is that a flaw in your roster building because you have a lot of guys that are creeping up on 35 or 35 plus that have some injury history? Yeah. I mean, that's been a theme <laughs> over the last couple of years is that the Yankees have a lot of guys that are injury prone and, and whether they don't factor that into the equation enough would be something that 
we'd have to do some more digging into because I do think there is a market inefficiency for injury injured guys. I do um, because if you don't know when it's going to happen, no. it just yeah. so happens that whenever these guys play for the Yankees, they do in fact get hurt. And we just we we've said the same thing for the last three years, right? It's been like. Oh, they're one healthy guy away. They're one move away. They're one bat away. And they've just been, they've never had it. So maybe it's a decision making. Maybe they just need to reset. Maybe they need something bigger. Go get Juan Soto and I'll get excited. And I think they can go get Juan Soto. I think that at the same time, it's getting late, uh, but I think at the same time, they're, they're definitely a candidate for a hard reset. If this but if this year continues, they don't. The Yankees don't, and that's the problem. Well, it's not the even, New York it's Yankees just like, don't. Where do you go? You, Stanton's unmovable, right? He has a no trade clause, no trade clause, ton of money on the books, injury history. You're either releasing him, but he's too valuable to release. Somebody would take him for no money, but oh, they're not absolutely. taking him with the money. Anthony Rizzo, he's still a productive player since the Tatis incident where he bumped into his neck and he had that concussion issue for a week. He's been off, right? Anthony Volpe's going to grow, like so he's a part of your future. Donaldson's a free agent at the end of the year, so you're either cutting bait at the end of the year or cutting bait now. It's so you're gonna have to find a replacement at third base. Harrison Bader's a free agent at the end of the year. He's replaced like it's just so weird because I don't know. It's not like they have pieces where they can do a whole reset, right? Like you look at the Chicago White Sox, and if the Chicago White Sox really wanted to do a full reset. You're setting your franchise up. Dylan Cease, Eloy Jimenez, you want to build around Luis Robert? Build around Luis Robert. Tim Anderson, even if I'm sure there's a team that would take Yohan Moncada a flyer on him for cheap, that's seven top 25 prospects at least coming into your farm system off of those guys alone. And that's four guys, right? Yankees don't have that. and like, There's nobody on that roster who they could trade that makes sense to trade to reset. Yeah. I mean, they're in a tough spot though. They're in a tough spot because yeah. of the fact that they're aging and they all are hurt and look, they're underperforming. I mean, the, the Yankees just get in. I mean, like you said, that I'd like the pitching staff too. If Rodon ever shows like up and Montas staff, yeah. gets healthy, like I really like the pitching yeah. staff. And if they get in and some of those guys get healthy on the offensive side, they can still win a world series. I mean, Shoot, they they led wire to wire in the AL East last year and and, and couldn't get by the Astros anyway. So this will be the year they do this. it. Of course, that's what I'm saying. It that's will be right. Took like the words the out questions. Of my mouth. Um, we've seen this in sports way too many times. This will be the year they'll at least make it. Um, I don't know about win. The, the, the Braves will be tough to get through. We said the same thing about the Dodgers, right? Like Dodgers are right. going to – I said it in my win total, right? Like they're going to go under 95 and a half, but they're going to win the World Series, right? Yeah. Like I wouldn't be surprised because baseball is the one sport where that happens more than we think, right? The Nationals did it. The Braves did it in 21. The Phillies made the World Series, right? Those teams that might not be the best team for the marathon, turn it on for the sprint. But, Dan, you want to tell our listeners about routine baseball and how quality the products are? <laughs> Absolutely. I am constantly wearing my routine baseball stuff. This is the one of the few nights, actually, I've hopped on the pod without my routine uh, baseball stuff on. And everyone else out there can hop in the routine baseball gear, whether it's shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, hats, any baseball style you can imagine. Go to Routine Baseball. All you need to do, routine.com backslash backside ground ball. And at check out all the different options. You can get 10% off your order today. Hop into the same gear that I'm wearing constantly. I love my white short sleeve hoodie the most. Their shorts are almost like bathing suits. They're the most comfortable shorts I think I've ever owned. And I'm not just saying that because we get a discount. I love that. And you hit the routine.com backslash backside ground balls. That's a toughie. That is. To hit the backslash, then say backside, backside. ground balls. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, you did it. You killed it. Nah, Got to give credit where credit's due. But but this last segment, this is all yours. So take it away. Yeah, hopefully this doesn't take as long as I think it is because we're already 45 minutes into this thing. Thanks to me and you not being able to shut up ever. But we've been away was, for a while. Uh, I was scrolling the uh, socials today, and I saw a Mets fan trying to valiantly, valiantly defend uh, 
star shortstop Francisco Lindor in his massive contract. Um, and he pointed out that, quote, he literally leads baseball in every offensive category for shortstops. I fact-checked it so you guys don't have to. He does not. He leads shortstops in home runs and RBIs. Every other counting stat you can think of, he doesn't lead shortstops in. There's better shortstops out there. But I wanted to put him on trial and find out just how many better shortstops there are. So, Trevor, based on your bias, you can mix your emotions into this if you want, your uh, heart, your head, your eyes. Their age, talent, contract. I'm going to give you 29 other shortstops in Major League Baseball, and you're just going to tell me whether or not you'd rather have Francisco Lindor or the other shortstop. Um, we can argue about it a little bit when we get to some of them, and we can then find out who your favorite shortstop is. We're going to take the guys you'd rather take over Lindor, and we are going to have them in a head-to-head. So we will start in the NL East in Francisco Lindor's division, the Washington National Sword Shop is C.J. Abrams. Abrams or Lindor, Trevor? Lindor. Okay. Arcia or Lindor? Lindor. Birdie and Joey Wendell or Lindor? Lindor. Okay. Trey Turner and Francisco Lindor? Lindor. Why? Let's get into this one. Because just, I mean, say what you want. Lindor has been productive over the last two years, right? So while he's been not the best version, he's not what you expect from Lindor. But they're both coming with big contracts. Lindor's a little bit younger. I trust Lindor's skill set to at least provide a floor of valuable, right? It's I mean, we've seen it over the last two years, right? Home runs, good defense, high RBIs, hitting in the middle of a uh, order that gets in on base in front of them. I think Trey Turner's ceiling is definitely better right now. I think we've seen that over the last couple of years. We're coming into the year. Trey Turner was the better player. Slam dunk, no question about it. Um, but I worry about that variance and I trust the Lindor defense. Lindor, if he can't play shortstop anymore. He's out of the big leagues if he's not hitting as well as he can because that's how valuable he is with the glove. Plus, he hits from both sides of the plate, even though he struggles on on one side specifically. But that versatility, that floor of value, I just think with if I'm taking both big contracts, I'm taking the glove first guy ahead of the guy with the, the higher ceiling. Fair enough. See, when I went through this today and did this on my own, I took Trey Turner because I, like I said in the beginning, you're allowed to have your biases in. And obviously, yeah. Trey Turner plays for my favorite team. Lindor plays for my least favorite. It's close. But I also they're both think disappointing that right now. They're disappointing right now, but I think that you're starting to see Trey Turner come out of it. And I definitely think over the length of the next few years, you'd probably rather have Turner as the player. Also, I will say I would think this was a slam dunk if Turner was a better defender. Yes. But Turner's not. Or right. hit switch. Like even then, wow. like hit switch yeah. too. Like th- I think yeah. it'd be like that was those are the little things that were difference makers. Just gold glove defender at a premium position. Trey Turner's yeah. a good defender, but he's not Lindor. Yeah. All right, NL Central. Um, which before the year, I kind of knocked the shortstops in the NL Central. Come around on them. Willie Adamas. Lindor. Matt McLean. This is probably t- tougher than. Um, because if we're thinking building building a team financially, the McLean situation of him being pre arb, giving you probably years just old. twenty three years old. Um, so depending on what our criteria is, better player Lindor, who I would take for the next six in terms of how I would build my roster around him, McLean. Cop out. Give me who McLean or Lindor? Lindor. Really? So I took Matt McLean on that one. Yeah, He's a 23-year-old shortstop who in, in 37 games has that many extra base hits already. He's OPSing yeah. over 900. I'm sure there will be some regression at some point, but he's shown defensively that he's absolutely up to it. And looking at what Lindor's been since he's got to New York, I think Matt McLean's going to be the better player. Um, Thir- 37 games is why. I like At the end of the year, we could be having a different conversation, especially for a guy as young as he is. But – it's the game. The name of the game is adjust, readjust, and we're going to need to see Matt McLean readjust, and and that will be when it will be determined if he's going to really, really stick at this level. 
I wanted this this uh, exercise to be fun, so I went O'Neill Cruz instead of Nick Gonzalez and whoever else the Pirates have been running out there. I know he's not healthy at the moment, but we'll go O'Neill Cruz. Same thing, Lindor. O'Neill Cruz needs to be healthy. See, I also went O'Neill Cruz. Dansby Swanson or Lindor. You're obviously a Lindor hater because this is a guy who's still like top of the line shortstop across the league. There's no denying it. Um, That's why I'm not the one doing this. This one's tough as well, but I'm going to have to stick with. And as I'm going through it, like I'm realizing that Lindor is probably the best shortstop in the NL because I'm taking Lindor here too. Okay. More power. Um, I think Dansby Swanson is the – as good defender wise, um, but they're kind of similar in that realm. And then Lindor provides a little bit more power than Dansby's shown this year. Dansby has a high war because he's a really good player, um, and for reasons of that. But I think that there's a reason why um, Lindor is a little bit more, di- just a touch more dynamic than what Dansby is. Well. I would have three NL Central shortstops over Francisco Lindor. So uh, it's interesting. I'm, if you took those guys, then we can probably speed through these next handful. Paul DeYoung. Lindor. Okay. The combination of Geraldo Pordoma and Nick Ahmed. Lindor. Brandon Crawford. Lindor. Miguel Rojas. Lindor. Ezekiel Tovar. Lindor. Xander Bogarts. That's... He struggled he is a struggled. month ago. He, when he was came out of that first month, I would say Xander Bogarts was looking like a slam dunk there. Both have big contracts to live up to. Lindor's the better defender by a decent amount, I would say. Xander's definitely the better hitter. I'm going to go with Lindor there. You, he, okay, so Lindor's the for best. Anyone keeping track, in Lindor's the best shortstop in the NL in Trevor's, Trevor's world. All right, moving on to the AL, the AL East. Uh-huh. Jorge Mateo, the Baltimore Orioles. Lindor. Anthony Volpe of the New York Yankees. Anthony Volpe is similar in Matt McLean in my eyes. I have to see. I have to get through a season because contract situation building around that type of player, I could see Volpe making a push for being more valuable, but Lindor as it stands with the information we have right now. I think you're pandering to your New York in-laws um, personally. Not, with this. I'm not. This is a, I, I'm a looking New York here and I, fest. <laughs> I, have, I have guys that are going to be better. Kike Hernandez. Lindor. Okay. Wander Franco. Wander Franco. Wander uh, Franco yeah. hits from both sides of the plate. He's a much better hitter. He's an elite defender as well. Super freakish athlete. It's slam dunk. He's going to be a top three shortstop in the league for the next 10 years. No doubt. Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette's okay. one of the best hitters in the league. He's an aggressive hitter, but he understands himself. Power included with a really good bat-to-ball skills. Doesn't strike out. All right, moving on to the... AL Central, Carlos Correa. I'm going to take Carlos Correa. I like a power bat. He was a gold glove caliber defender in the last couple years when he was completely healthy. I know the struggles have been there. He started to turn it around a little. In terms of factoring in just health alone, the power bat along with the elite defense is what sets them apart, right? Carlos Correa could easily go out there and hit 35 home runs in the middle of a lineup and still provide that good top-of-the-line defense um, that Lindor does also offer. So I just like the ceiling better, and I don't think Correa's floor is as trapdoor as Trey Turner's of the world. Yeah, that's a tough one for me, um, to be honest with you. And, and if anyone listening, as I mentioned, my my votes here, it's, I clearly like the young shortstop. I would take Bichette and Franco too. Um, Correa uh, was kind of – I wasn't sure. Just real quick note, the 40 and 42 twins could really use Carlos Correa being the level of player we all expect him yeah. to be. They haven't got same it. with Byron they Buxton. They really need it. Yeah, they really need that. Um Ahmed Rosario of the Cleveland Lindor. Guardians. Okay, Tim Anderson of the Chicago White Sox. Lindor. 
Javier Baez of the Detroit Tigers. Lindor. Bobby Witt Jr. of the Kansas City Royals. Bobby Witt Jr., and I'll tell you because it's this, again, I've mentioned the ceiling. He impacts the game with his legs as much as anybody. He's just, I mean, he's dynamic as anybody. The stats have not been what he's capable of, but there's not a single person with a respected opinion across baseball who doesn't think this guy is a one night sleep away from being an MVP winner, right? He's one thing clicking away from being the best shortstop in the league. I'm with you on Bobby Witt. Um, that, yeah, again, young, young too. Like the age thing, just I think Bobby Witt's going to be a superstar. I think it's there. I, the situation in Kansas City is just not good around him. Um, your own Campbell, Campbell, Camel, Zach Neto, Los Angeles Angels. As we move into the West, Lindor. Okay, uh, JP Crawford of the Mariners, Lindor. Jeremy Pena of the Astros, Lindor. Okay. That was a that was an interesting one for me. Obviously, super young. I think he's a little bit uh, inflated right now because of what he did in the postseason. We've mentioned that several times. His regular season numbers have never been great. Unbelievable defender at shortstop. Um, and you got just looking at his build and stuff. Like I, I'm waiting for more offensively. Yeah, I have to see. He has to when he takes the Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve approach and figures yeah. it out. It's going to be him. Yeah, he's that's going to, be going to change, best, yeah. right? That's going to change his profile. But as we stand right now, doesn't hit the ball hard enough. Doesn't do. Doesn't pull the ball enough. He right. hits home runs and he steals bases, but it's nothing outside of that. Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve, they do both those things that I mentioned with Pena, but they pull the baseball at an elite level, and, and Pena has not gotten there yet. Um, Corey Seager? No brainer. Corey right, okay. Seager. Corey Seager is the, the guy um, across baseball. It's He's the top shortstop right now. Contract well, situation. You it for I, the rest of the listeners here. We are going to go head-to-head of the guys that you'd rather have, but that's Okay, right. go with it. Go. I'll, well, I'll, I'll get one into more explain. team. I know it doesn't really matter. Nick Allen, Kevin Smith get most of the reps in Oakland. Short. I'm just going to look at Just for listeners, real quick, if they want to, if they're curious of who I took, I took Trey Turner, Matt McLean, O'Neill Cruz, Dansby Swanson, um, Wander Franco, Bo Bichette, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., Tim Anderson, Corey Seeger, and Jeremy Pena over Lindor. You picked uh, Tim Anderson. I did. I really like Tim Anderson. I think that one was more of a less about the anything really baseball related. And that was a really like just a fan of the two guys in front of me. I really enjoyed Tim Anderson and and his whole act. I love. Um, All right. So we'll start off here and we'll go Corey Seager and Bobby Witt Jr. Corey Seager. Okay. So Bobby Witt's eliminated. Uh, Carlos Correa and Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette and Wander Franco. Wander Franco. Wander Franco and Corey Seager. Corey Seager. Nah. That's, oh, no. We're going to say Corey Seager because if you Corey click Seager's over to the, to the rundown, I put what we were going to do this exercise in here for you listeners a little bit of uh, seeing how the sausage is made. We're going to figure out Trevor's favorite shortstop in parentheses. I put it's Corey Seager. So I know my co-host well. Uh, that was just a fun exercise. I did. I actually went through that exercise with my brother this morning. Um, he did that with me. Like Seventeen people had a Francisco. No, he Lindor. was he was giving it to he me. I was Ezekiel the one choosing. Tovar and, and he would and probably yeah. Which I don't and I respect him for that. Lean into your fa- if you're going to be a fan, lean into your fandom, and I respect him for that. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, the the tough one there is. I do think. I, my bias leaned me towards Corey Seager there. Wander Franco is the guy over the next 10 years probably. Sure. Um, contract situation, he's on a, a very affordable deal that the Tampa Bay Rays did lock him up long-term for. Corey Seager's obviously making a boatload of money as on he top deserves. of producing. As he deserves, he's been he's going to compete for MVP, and if it wasn't for Shohei Otani, he'd probably be the favorite yep. as it stands right now. Um and that preseason uh, future bet looks pretty good right now, even though it, it will end up being probably Shohei. But Corey Seager has be. been absolutely great. He's leading the league in expected stats across the board. 
But Wander Franco with with everything, the youth, the talent, the ceiling, the floor, even we saw his floor over the last, you know, those low stretches where he's still super good. Hits from both sides of the plate, elite defender and on a cheap contract. Man, the Tampa Bay Rays have it have it good, huh? Yeah, I, I mean, th- th- yeah, I mean, I love that Rays team, and ever since I've really latched on to them, obviously they've they've kind of leveled out and played five hundred ball, sort of, um, which is just my fandom curse that I put on teams. I did it to the Mariners, the Phillies, and now the Rays, but yeah, that Rays organization, man, and the guys that they have, and the guys that they're going to continue to produce, the arms, guys like Wander Franco, Yandy Diaz, it's exciting. Yeah. It is. It is. So any closing thoughts, Dan, before we get out of here? Obviously, it's super fun to get back on here and talk about the MLB and get back rolling with that. No. uh, Will we have an episode before the 4th of July? Probably record on Sunday night, don't you think? We'll talk about that. Yeah, my final thoughts, and then I'll save for, for, for that. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in, as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your pods. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. Most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you guys next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know, maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.